Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Ben. As always, I'm here with Mike. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I am just hanging out at home. We uh, just finished our schedule uh, coverage. The schedule is out for next year. I weathered a rainstorm, as you did. Uh, it's very rainy. And, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a good week. We haven't, unfortunately, been able to record yet this week. We've both been a little busy. We had uh, SB Nation 2017 NBA planning meetings up in New Ooh. York, and you've had some other stuff. We will resume. Any sneak previews? Any sneak previews that came out of the meeting? Uh, you can tell the pod for our loyal listeners? Nothing? Just, just going to have to wait till October. Oh, All right. Uh, but we will resume our team by team offseason previews over the weekend with New Orleans and Denver. But, you know, after what happened last night in the Olympics, we got to talk a little bit about Team USA. Yeah, we should talk about Olympic basketball and the tournament that's going on. Uh, you're referring to the Australia-USA game. It was it was closer than people thought it would be. 10-point win, 98-88 USA. Mello with 31 and 8 boards. Pretty pretty good game. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, going five times the amount of assists he had last season with five assists for Team USA. Also, a clutch shot after clutch shot down the stretch. I mean, so many clutch shots. Just like it was, just like the finals. He was he was the go to scoring option. Yeah, I mean, Australia was winning at halftime. They yep. uh, had only a three point deficit. I believe they tied the game early in the fourth quarter, and it really took uh, some real clutch shot making from Melo and Kyrie. You know, Kyrie hit. Did you see uh, Draymond Green Snapchat? So Kyrie hits kind of another one of those like kind of step to his right three pointers to kind of as the big dagger last night. And so Draymond Green, you know, posts, finds Kyrie. He posts on Snapchat. Did you see this? I haven't. Keep going. So he, uh, he finds Snapchat. He posts, uh, I'm trying to find the exact wording. He said he posts, um, a Snapchat of the shot. And then with the caption that reads, my son, that sidestep to the right was too familiar and way too soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Which is great. I mean, if you watch it, it's like the exact same shot. So, yeah, that was uh, a lot closer than we all expected. But good. Good for them. They should have to play one game that's a 10-point game in this entire you know tournament. Because that's it, man. The, well, they don't have to. They didn't in the World Championships. No, I'm not saying they should have to. I'm saying, but that's that's as close as a team is going to come. Because and, and you wrote about this, Mike. I'd love you to go into a little more detail on it. But uh, you know, Australia found a lot of success on offense, which is usually a more difficult thing for these these you know foreign countries against the United States, even than stopping them, which is ultimately impossible too when USA is on offense. But it's hard to you know to really get offensive flow against a team of Jimmy Butler's and. Uh, in you know Paul George's etc. Um, what did they do specifically though that, that that worked? That might be a bit of a blueprint if any team is going to beat the uh, United States in this tournament. Well, Australia has this really wonderful sort of equal opportunity system. That I mean, if you I don't know if you watched the Serbia and France games, but they dropped ninety plus on both of those teams. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if they dropped, got quite to ninety against France, but they won going away against France, and they dropped I think ninety five on Serbia, and. You know, it's it's a really good FIBA system because they've got these these speedy guards. They got Patty Mills who can run like you know like the wind off the ball. They got playmakers in Delhi and Joe Ingles, and they have you know they they don't have like great wing play or they don't have like these great athletes at the four spot, but they've got these big screeners. Andrew Bogut looks like a totally different player in FIBA play, and they're playing because sure, he can hold everybody. He just <laughs> grabs everybody, gets away with it the whole game because that's what he does in the NBA, and they're like foul yeah well in the nba i think you could argue gets away with it probably probably quite a bit too but yeah it it, the way i think about it is that it's sort of a constrained game in fiba the three-point line is shorter there are fewer fast breaks it's much more of a physical game and so if your offense maybe doesn't have as much space and athleticism but you do have these guys who can kind of you have multiple playmakers and you have great screen setters like bogut who can also operate in the high post you you can kind of confuse 
a defense with a lot of motion and just kind of nail him on these screens. And that's what, I mean, Bogut was doing so much to free his teammates up, whether it was Mills off the ball, Delhi on the ball. And I think Team USA was not quite ready for that. I think uh, they really struggled to kind of contain these quick players. And it was kind of, it's, it's sort of melding the speed of how kind of the NBA game has become in the half court with just more physicality that you just, you look at all these teams, uh, Team USA probably has like all the best wing players in the world. So what these teams have to do is they have to use their physicality in order to get open. And I think, I think the Team USA playing uh, their last six games, if you can, exhibitions against China, Venezuela, and Nigeria sort of didn't prepare them well for an Australia team that has really played great in this tournament. And I think, I expected them to struggle a little bit, but not like that. That that made me a little worried, to be honest. See, I still think they're going to be fine, and it's nice to get a, a tougher game. Look, they played against a, a number of guys who are NBA-tested and that weren't scared about playing them and, or, or in awe of playing them or excited about the idea of playing them. They were like, no, I'm going to try to beat them because, you know, like you said, uh, Ingles and, and uh, Delvadova and guys like Bogut, I mean, of all people, Bogut fouled the shit out of Kevin Durant. He, he, did you see that play when he was just like, no, yeah, no, no. Well, no. That, and, that was, that was for, for the record, it was called a foul. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, oh, yeah. It was because a foul. I, I, I want to say that just because I think um, there were a number of situations where I think maybe in the NBA game, which is kind of more of a speed game and a spread out game, he, he wouldn't have been there to, he would have been called for fouls. I think, FIBA is a more physical game. It's more. It's a game that is slower. It's a game with more big guys. Is more bumping, and Team USA ultimately in that game. I mean, the reason they won is that nobody in Australia could guard Carmelo Anthony because they're playing two big guys all the time, and you need to put the second big guy in Carmelo Anthony. And in the end, Team USA wins that battle, and they're going to win that battle, I think, against anyone. But I'm I'm just a little worried about the defense. I, I mean, I, Australia is a great system, and I've wrote about it in detail. But there was some inattentiveness that I, I wonder if that'll cost them at any point. Maybe not in terms of wins and losses, but if that will make some of these games a little bit more of a challenge. Because if you look at that starting lineup, USA, they're playing Kyrie Irving as a defensive sieve. I think Delvadova really played him well. Uh, Carmelo, as great as he is offensively, is kind of a sieve. DeMarcus Cousins is, can't, keeps getting in foul trouble in all of these games. And, you know, they're trying, they tried to do a lot of switching to try to combat the screen setting of Australia, but that's a hard thing to coordinate, and they, there are a lot of breakdowns on backdoor cuts. And, you know, I, all that just makes me – I'm not saying that the U.S. is really going to have another game where they, they almost lose, but I, I'm, I'm not sure this is going to be like a march to the title quite like the World Cup was. And we shall see. That's why they play the game. Still lots of games left. I mean, the USA in a much better shape than I guess you would think their toughest competitor, or at least the last you know, few national or national international tournaments, which was Spain. Spain just – Snuck by Nigeria this evening, right before we started this podcast, and I mean snuck by. It was like a three to five point game under a minute, and it was close. Yeah, uh, you and I, I mean, were watching look, it. They look really bad. I mean, the other team that doesn't look that great, although they got a big win yesterday, uh, is France. France yeah, just got so it's a weird world. I mean, it's odd that Australia has emerged as probably the second best team in this tournament. I mean, I guess we'll see how Lithuania and Argentina play uh, later on, but. It's weird that Australia has emerged like this, especially because if you look in the future, Australia has got some real talent coming in with Simmons, with Dante Exum, with uh, maybe Thon Maker, and that will be a fun rivalry uh, down the road. Uh, you know, can we talk a little bit about Melo though? I, sure. It's just, it's just great to see Melo. How happy are you that Melo can kind of have a, a genre that he owns, given some of the stuff he's gone through with the, in the NBA? It seems clear that unless he's going to ring chase, he's not going to kind of approach a title again. But it's kind of nice. He said earlier this week that he would be totally satisfied with three gold medals. Yeah. And this stat now he's the leading scorer uh, for Team USA. Like I. How do you feel watching him play? Like, do you think that this is sort of a little silly, and that you know, of course, he should win with this team, and it's not that big of an accomplishment? Or do you feel a sense of pride, kind of watching him become this sort of Olympic grizzled veteran and this Olympic star? Oof, well, that's pretty loaded. I would say that I feel both emotions. I think that he doesn't really believe what he said. I think he's. I think he. I think he's justified in saying it, and he's been a tremendous U.S. Olympian, straight up. Doesn't matter what sport you, you play. Um, and I really appreciate him becoming more of a socially aware athlete. Like I really do think that that in the last few months has heightened my sense of liking Carmelo Anthony as a person. Cause you know what? 
very few professional athletes do use their platform for, for the type of good. We, you know, we had Baron Davis on this podcast months ago, and he's fantastic, and he knows where he sits, and that's and, and he uses it for good in his communities. And, and and I think it's really important to have guys like Camille Anthony, and he's got you know more years to play, and it might not be in New York, but I think he, what he's showing is and he's a he's a great shooter. There's a skill for six foot nine shooters that can play a long time in the league, and I think Carmelo, if he will accept a declining role later on in his career, could ring chase a bit and be very good at that. Like Rashard Lewis picked one up, didn't he? Uh, I don't know if he actually got one. I'm trying to remember if he was. I think he may have come the year after they won. Heat? No, wasn't he on the Heat? Yeah, I, I, I think he, he might have gotten one. Let me let me look it up. But nonetheless, you know what I'm saying. The, the, the idea is that um. I'm I'm happy for Carmelo. I'm I'm not sure he's um, being completely truthful in saying that he would rather have that than an NBA championship. I think an NBA championship is the the single greatest trophy in basketball. I think most people would agree with that. Charles Barkley would agree with that. Uh, Patrick Ewing, name a few other guys. David Robinson, and maybe he got one, um, but uh, he got both, I should say. But the idea is like plenty of guys on the Dream Team didn't win. NBA championships, and I, I guarantee you they would tell you to a man they'd rather have had an NBA championship. It doesn't dimi- diminish at all what it means to win a gold medal and be an Olympian. It, it's just different in the pantheon of your, of your sport. Right. Here's the quote, just so we're clear. I, I don't think he's necessarily saying that he yeah, yeah, yeah. would prefer to win the Olympics. He says, you know, most athletes don't have an opportunity to say that they won a gold medal. Barry had three gold medals. He told this to ESPN. I would be very happy walking away from the game, knowing that I've given the game everything I have, knowing that I played on a high level at every level, high school, college. You won a title at Syracuse and college and possibly three gold medals. I can look back on it when my career is over, if I don't have an NBA championship ring, and still say I had a great career. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And, it's, and he has. He will have had a great career. He'll be a Hall of Famer. He, you know, he had one of the greatest individual seasons. If not, you know, you could you could make an argument that what he did at Syracuse and as a freshman and winning the championship has never been done before, never will be done again. Um, you know, Ben Ben Simmons, who I love, and you know this, who couldn't even make the NCAA tournament last year with his LSU team, and you put you know juxtapose that with yeah, that's a good point. Camelo, and and obviously he had a really nice team. He had Warwick and, and McNamara and whatnot, but nonetheless. Um, Look, I, I hope I hope they win the, the gold for Carmelo, who's like you know a generational gap away from the rest of the team, um, which is kind of funny. Oh yeah, that has been great throughout this whole process. It's been great. The, the Vanessa Carlton thing, oh. like all this stuff with Snapchat, like that has been. It's been kind of fun watching uh, old man Carmelo. It's sort of like he's assumed the Kobe role, like with yes. what Kobe was for the Redeem team. That is what Carmelo has become. Uh, yeah, so I I want two things. I, I think I don't want to gloss over kind of his uh, appreciation for these new social issues and trying to raise awareness and trying to actually get stuff done. I think that's great. Also, when you consider sort of where his past, where he he's become a little infamous for the stop snitching stuff, uh, and it's yep. great to see his uh, you know everybody grows up and you know he's from Baltimore. Yeah, and there's a lot in his experience that has sort of kind of caused him to get to where he is, and it's great to see him trying to use that platform. I also, a part of me sort of wonders, like, if he can be this good, I know it's a different game, but if he can be this this effective as sort of an Olympic four, and again, the only reason, the reason U.S. won that game, one is because Kyrie Irving hit some tough shots, but also just, at the end of the day, as great as Australia played, they had nobody who could guard Carmelo Anthony, they just were playing, they had to play two bigs, you know, they either have to kind of just play Aaron Baines or David Anderson or or Cameron Bearstow and just, you know, you can't, those guys can't guard Melo. And so it was just pick and pop all these times. Um, why, why wouldn't he be more open to doing that in the NBA? It's yeah. something I've always thought about because I thought, I think when he was most effective was that 2012, 13 year or whatever, where the Knicks won 54 games. But now they, again, have sort of set up with a team that, you know, they make big money contract to Noah we're not going to – I mean, maybe we'll see some of Melo at the four and Porzingis at the five, but he's sort of resisted it. You know, I wonder what it would be like if he just fully embraced that role. Yeah, we'll see. But I hope he, I hope he can get to I – mean, maybe this Olympic situation and kind of embracing it all will help him modify his game in the NBA because he can still be – he's still a great player. Uh, he just needs to be more aware of what will make his team better. Perhaps that's the the key. Maybe maybe, maybe you get that from made, an Olympic yeah, experience. Yeah, I think he made some strides last year. I, he for way. sure did last year, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, he's just not a great defender, and that's going to limit his value. And you know, that's too bad. But 
I think it's nice. I like kind of every four years, it's, you get a little bit of a reminder that this is sort of a Carmelo genre, and you know, otherwise we would might forget about him. And it's you know, sort of nice to see that. Um, we've gone a long time without talking about probably the Olympic story that you are most excited about, and that's your boy Dario. <laughs> yeah, my homie Dario. Yeah, your boy Dario Sarge for uh, Croatia. Uh, they are two and one at this stage. They beat Brazil. He had a nice, really good game tonight. Today, um, you know, he didn't have a great game in the opener against Spain, but he had the signature play. I would say of this tournament, first of all, with the stuff on Pau Gasol at the buzzer to preserve what looked like an upset win at the time. I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, Spain is sort of falling apart, so maybe it's not much of an upset. But and then. He had a much better game against Brazil, and he had really one of the most breathtaking plays I've seen in a while where he swatted. Was it Nene that he blocked? He came out of nowhere? Or uh, out- it, it was someone in transition. I'm not sure which player it was, but I don't think it was Nene. I think it was their power forward. Okay, so he whatever whoever it was, he comes out of nowhere, swats him on the fast break, one motion, grabs the ball, and chucks it down 75 feet for a layup for his teammate. It was just a breathtaking play. He big-timed him, man. He LeBroned him. He, he, caught, he looked at his steps. He measured his steps about two feet inside the free-throw line, saw where the guy was going, and took like one of those like predatorial leaps where he was just like, LeBron does it, you know, where it's very, it's very much like an innate basketball thing. Just like the block on Gasol, he left his man, knowing how much time was on the clock in the situation that Gasol was going to be the last one to touch it. He left his man real early, anticipating it. Went from underneath the other the basket, from box to box to make the block. Um, those are things that you don't teach. Those are the types of things that, that transfer across all levels of basketball, and and they're also the things that when you were a six foot nine or ten, six foot ten guy, he's big. He's playing power forward and guarding the likes of Pau Gasol uh, and Nene, you know. So it's, he's guarding NBA centers um, in this tournament. But it, you know, those are the things that um, that really make me excited as a Sixers fan, and also think about. I'm watching his shot and thinking the mechanics are there. Sometimes he, he leans back a little bit when he doesn't need to, and those are the shots he usually misses. But when he goes straight up, he's got a nice release. It's pretty fluid. He's got really good range. I think he understands the game at like a really high clip, and I think about the potential of a guy like him and a guy like Simmons playing together, uh, and it is, uh, I don't know, it's tantalizing, Mike. I'm just All very right, excited. So, so we should we kind of... You know, just pencil him in as the All Star Game MVP this year, or what are your what are your real expectations? Which what should Sixers fans expect based on what you've seen out here in Rio? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, he he has point forward ability in the same sense that Simmons does. He doesn't handle the ball as much. And with Croatia, um, Bogdanovic is sort of there like Michael Jordan, if you will. So they literally run ISO for him like two out of every three possessions. Like Saric is just doing the teamwork, Saric work right now. But the parts of the game where he knows he needs to take over, he does, and he has for like three games in a row. He does have a knack for some for big plays. Even the game they lost to Argentina. Yeah, he had a big stick-back offensive rebound in this game uh, against Brazil. That was just kind of has great sense about that. Yes, yes, and, and even Argentina, he made that game almost single-handedly close uh, in the fourth quarter. He got to, to like seven points. Um, but the, the point is like, Sixers fans can expect a guy who who really I and I think is much further along than I anticipated. I mean, I heard he was a mature player and he's obviously been playing professionally for years now uh, in Turkey, but he actually has like a pretty solidified game and, and a sense of what who he is on the court. Um, he doesn't seem like he overextends himself too much. His control, his body control, is is is, is quite good. He's on a defense, weak. he's been moving around. Yeah, upper body needs to get yeah, wasted. He he gets bumped off on some of these drives real easily. Like he he does switch well. He does switch very well onto smaller players. Um, that's he definitely true. Hips well, like he gets square with uh, guys off pick and roll like real quickly. He adjusts to the to the space. Um, these are little things that like I hadn't been able to watch really, and you don't really have a good scale of who he's playing against when he's playing for the F's in Turkey, but. Look, as a first glimpse about playing against some other NBA quality talent, NBA level players, um, he passes the eye test, man. And I think Sixers fans can also anticipate he's a playmaker. He looks to make the right pass first, um, and hopefully, yeah, they- he, he is a very good passer for his position. Very good passer. The yeah. only the only problem is I wonder if there's sort of the first of all, like he really scoring ability is just not there. He just it's not. Jump shot is one thing. Like if he can hit a spot up jumper, he he obviously struggled early on. Uh, he made some more shots in this game, but when he drives, he's just bumped off so easily. And so finishing ability is just not there. And it's 
you know, he'll have more space to attack and beat guys off the dribble. But I'm not sure. I mean, it's, I, I'd be worried about that guy attacking a closeout right now, and that that's, that's going to be a big part of his game. But yeah, he's got great court sense. You know, I, I I like him too. I mean, I think I think they, you know, this was always the thing. He was always had this potential to be a really useful player. It's just which team was going to be willing to wait on him. And now the question is, which will the Sixers actually trade someone to let him play? Which, I mean, that's sort of an interesting. Have you seen some of this stuff with Nerl's Noel's Twitter yeah. account? Yeah. Yeah, he's breaking my number one rule. What's your number one rule? Whatever you do, don't do it on social media. If you're an athlete, literally, do anything you want. Most anything you want under the context of law. But don't do it on social media. Well, that's we- it. We should say what he actually has done. Uh, He basically, what, did he, like, remove all Philadelphia references from his profile and then change his profile picture, right? Something to that effect, yes. And and put up some pro-Boston thing about his city being Boston. It's like, all right, dude, look. Well, he is from Boston. I'm aware he's from from Boston. He went to a a, a high school, a private high school with uh, my fiancé's cousin, Lesh, who's who's great. So I'm aware of his New England roots, if you will. Well... I mean, it's it's it doesn't. We don't need like kind of this Twitter deciphering to know that the Sixers are probably not going to have Noel or, and or Okafor on the team. But can I year. defend him though too? Though is also that we just we talked about this before the pod. But a, like when you're an emotional, we, all right, when you're 21, 22 years old, and your like livelihood is just being dangled around, and you have that that lack of stable footing. Uh, I don't blame him for being upset about it. That's the thing. It's like, I understand, I think, uh, to a degree, I remember what it felt like to be his age, and we both do. You're probably not there thinking like, sweet, I can't wait to be told where I'm going to move and live for the next X amount of years, or like, yeah. where I'm uprooting my, <laughs> what's the second place I'm going to live in my professional life? Like, right. you know, and he doesn't know that. Plus, the fact that the time now is ticking, and he's got to go back to training camp and be around everyone soon, or get traded to a team in a new city and adjust right before training camp. So, like, there's probably a lot going on mentally that I imagine you know, would play into a frustration move like this. Just don't do it on social media. Yeah, maybe. Or he was just kind of messing with us. Who knows? Yeah. It's a great yeah. thing about social media. Uh, but you will soon get your chance to see the fight in Dario Sarge's uh, start this year. And then a fairly remarkable event, the Sixers will open their season yes. on ESPN against the Thunder. This is like as if they the NBA believes that every single consumer of basketball is Ben Epstein. <laughs> This is like the Ben Epstein Bowl. It's all coming up, Ben. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Right. How about that? You texted me right away. Like, I thought you were kidding. <laughs> yeah, this is like, you know, the turbocharged Russ against the who knows Sixers. I, I'm stunned. I'm floored. I can't believe that they acquiesced to your, you know, greatest fantasy. Now, can you be honest? Did you dream of this matchup? When, you know, last night, did you say, like, please, oh, uh, basketball god, put the Sixers and the Thunder as the first game of, the, uh, of their, each of their seasons? Yeah, I put, a, I put a little piece of multicolored capri pant fabric and, <laughs> and um, a stuffed animal of a kangaroo underneath my pillow last night. And then wow. I woke up this, uh, this morning and I felt good about the chances of that matchup happening. And what if we got Russ and Simmons, and I'm very excited about it. Wow, wow. I, uh, I may need to – you need to teach me how to kind of you know reach those basketball gods a little better. I, I like your methods. Uh, but, yeah, the schedule is out. I – Every team is going to play 82 games, breaking news, and 41 will be at home, 41 will be on the road. Uh, I'm actually kind of interested. I want to talk a little bit about the Christmas the, the Christmas schedule, which I found very fascinating. Uh, so uh, some of the usual suspects are there. I mean, you're going to get your finals rematch, uh, uh, weirdly at 2.30 and not at 5. I'm surprised they did that. I think, you know, so it's going to be on at 11.30 on the West Coast. Uh, you've got your Clippers-Lakers game that I'm just going to skip late in the day. The Knicks are returning. They'll play the Celtics at noon. Cavs Warriors is at five. No, Cavs Warriors is at two thirty this year. I'm looking at our schedule, and it has two thirty as Bulls versus Spurs. Uh, well, it's actually wrong. I have to fix that. Then es- Fire, the Fire the editor. <laughs> Whoever the editor of Espionation's NBA content is, I would like a word with him. <laughs> yeah, no. So two thirty is when that game is. So okay. you got yeah you know, Chicago, San Antonio. Zzz, I don't really care. About that game, that'll be good break. Uh, Clippers, Lakers really don't care about that game, and then we come to the really interesting game of the five game slate: Minnesota at Oklahoma City. The Timberwolves getting on Christmas Day. 
It's great. Well, really? it's Boxing Day for half their team, so it's fine, man. It's fine. Um, the next day, so it's all good, right? Isn't that isn't yeah. Boxing Day? Okay, anyhow. But no, you first off, you glossed over the, the Pau Gasol Bowl, the Bulls Spurs. I think that's very... You're zo- I'm already zoning out, sorry. Very exciting for, for the Gasol family. Um, that's great. Uh, wait, wait, how is, it, how is it the Gasol Bowl? Mark is not there. No, no, but I mean, it's Pau played for the Bulls now. He's playing for the Spurs, and it's, it's the Battle of Pau. Wow, I'm sure the Bulls are going to be absolutely out for blood in that game. <laughs> <laughs> the new look Bulls. Okay, but yes, the Timberwolves. Timberwolves. The Timberwolves on Christmas, man. I I did not think that was going to happen. Sixers opened the year on ESPN, and the Timberwolves were on Christmas. That's wow. promotion of the youth of the league. That's deliberate stuff. That's good. Yeah, I mean, last year they put New Orleans on Christmas in the noon slot, and that sort of didn't work out for them because the Pelicans were not nearly as good as everyone had expected. And the Pelicans were a playoff team. I mean, Minnesota won 29 games last year. Yeah. And they're on Christmas. I mean, I know that they have these great young stars, but, I mean, that to me is a, a sort of a refreshing leap of faith, but it's also a really big leap of faith. Also, I, I expected, honestly, that if they were going to put the Timberwolves on Christmas, they would put them against the Bulls so we get the Thibodeau Bowl. instead The Thibodeau Bowl. Um, you so, can do better than that. Tib- the Thibodeau Bowl. The Tibbs Bowl. Um <laughs> But instead, they put him against Oklahoma City, which, I mean, Oklahoma City, again, I think they were listening to the Ben Epstein fan base here. Oklahoma City is on national TV, I think, 22 times this year. And they are maybe going to win 48 games. Yeah, they're tied with the the Boston market of basketball. The Knicks, New York Knicks are on television, you know, 22 times. Yeah, Uh, seven more national TV games than the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, and we should say Golden State has the most. They have 28 nationally televised games this year. Yeah, but it's a really it's a great leap of faith in sort of the small markets. The other thing that I like about this national TV schedule is everybody's got at least one, which has not been the case in the past. Um, it's true. So are you are you pro? You're for Minnesota on Christmas? You think yeah, all for it, good? of course. So you don't think that they should have put? I don't know. You know, maybe the Eastern Conference finalist, Toronto, somewhere on the schedule. They won 56 games. Uh, you don't think that maybe instead of Clippers, Lakers, and you put Portland in that late game slot, you know, see Lillard against, Lillard against the Clippers? Uh, you don't I'm think fine that, with it. That no, no, I like it. think about it? Okay. I like it. I like uh, our Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. They made me very optimistic about the chances for our playoff-bound t- uh, Timberwolves. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, the other question I have for you, Mike, is five, the number five. Um, there is an interesting cluster of teams. Three teams have five national television appearances this year, and I don't know if this is deliberate or not, but they do represent, in my opinion, that pivot point of the middle of the NBA, the okay. Memphis Grizzlies, Miami Heat, and Washington Wizards. Um, what, what do you think about that? Because uh, the Raptors are right there, as you just said, at six nationally televised games this year, and they are the Eastern Conference finalists. What do you think about the the fact that like a big market like DC, Miami, right down there, they're at five. But well, Miami, you know, who do they have that's a draw anymore? That's fine. I mean, hey, Toronto's a big market. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing you have to remember about the TV schedule that I always have to remind people is that there are way more teams in the East time zone or the Central time zone than there are in the Pacific time zone. It's true. And so that's why you have some pretty good East teams like way down here, like Detroit's only got six, t- six games. Uh, Charlotte only has three. I mean, Memphis right. is a West team, but they're in the central time zone. And so the teams that often have inflated numbers are like, like Portland has almost as many games as the Lakers, because you don't have that many teams that could fit a 10 or 10 30 slot. Yeah. So you always have to remember That's that. Good. It's a good point. It's a good point. You always have to remember that as far as those three teams, you know, I'm a little surprised Miami got so few because I actually think they'll be an interesting team. But, you know, again, without Wade, uh, it's what's the draw there necessarily. Memphis is always sort of gets a short shrift on. I hate Chicago TV. getting 25. That, I don't well, like yeah, That is going to be a pain in the butt. Exactly. Oh, man. If I, I have to watch that Bulls team 25 times on national TV. I mean, I know I don't literally have to, but they, yeah. they are showcasing the Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo, uh, Jimmy Butler, Frankenstein show uh, 25 times this year. That is unfortunate. At least the Lakers are down to only 15, which is a big drop from where they usually are. A merciful move by the league there. Um, all right, well, we spent a pretty good amount of time on the national television appearances and, and kind of opening night and Christmas, the, the key dates. Um, there's a couple other things to mention the Thunder have the least amount of back-to-backs this season. 
Yeah, it looks like 13 as at last count. Sometimes we yes. miscount by one or two sometimes because it's hard to, to count all these. Uh, I don't think that really matters that much. Sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's like a lot of detailed analysis that can be done about like it's not just back to backs. Also, like how many times do you play when you're more rested than your opponent, and where do you play? You can get into this Byzantine level. I I don't think that really makes a big difference. I think we're talking like maybe a couple wins here and there at most. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. All right. Well, I had to mention it, and uh, I guess you know, I guess that's really all the end of basketball talk now. Uh, let's see, you know, there was one other thing that happened today that was fairly significant. And that's LeBron not going for the one plus one. Oh, yeah. And signing yeah, yeah. for uh, two plus one, the two years of the player option for $100 million. I was I'm a little surprised that he did that. I, there, I haven't had a chance to figure out why. I mean, there must be some sort of financial reason that I'm missing, but. Uh, I don't get it either. Is it, is it uncertainty with the, the CBA? Is that what's forcing both these moves that just happened? Maybe I'm I'm looking uh, I'm looking to try to find a little bit more, but you know you because basically the he had been signing these one year deals until he could kind of gain his bird rights with the Cavs because you don't get them until after you're signed a three year contract and with the cap just jumping every year it didn't make sense to just sign that straight off the bat, you know, so um, that was kind of why he did that, uh, but I think. I think it's sort of a tell for how the new CBA is going is going to shake out. You know, maybe he is a little bit afraid. Maybe there's a security measure, and uh, I'm not really sure, but I think that's an eyebrow raiser. Really. Shut up and sit down. So if you're one of the fans of ours who hates when we talk about soccer, this would be a good time to log off. And thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, uh, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all that stuff. We're still on there. Rate and review it. Uh, that'd be great. We will be back with much more basketball talk over the weekend. Pelicans, uh, who else we have? We have coming up Denver, the Knicks. We're going to be joined by our old friend, uh, Seth from posting and toasting. Eventually that'll be fun. But, um, Let's talk about the EPL, Mike. Woo! Yeah, soccer begins this weekend. It's back. It's back in a big way. And I'm, I am more excited by a long measure, and I know this is like almost anti-American to say, for this season to start than the Eagles' upcoming season. As someone who loves the Eagles, it's going to be a long slog in New York here. And I'm very excited to be across the sea from our fan bases here. It's kind of nice, right? Like we can <laughs> yeah, be as in, in, invested as we want, and then never hear about it from any rival fan. Yeah, well, that also has something to do with the uh, teams that we have chosen. So that's if true. You're listening to this for the first time, uh, Ben. You got into soccer probably what, like six or seven years ago? Yeah, seven years ago. And you uh, chose not wanting to choose one of the big clubs. You chose a second division Welsh team uh, yes. named Swansea City, who is now in the Premier League. Right, that was your logic. This is the six six season in a row now. Yeah. So after, and then me after the World Cup, you spurred on by you, I uh, decided I wanted to kind of really follow the Premier League. Spent about half a year watching uh, anyone I wanted, and I decided to flock to Southampton, who was at the time near the top of the table in a stunner. And so that is my team. So we do we have teams that really, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, are fairly sort of. Southampton finished somehow sixth last year. Uh, I'm not sh- still not sure how they did that. That's pretty amazing. And Swans, I think, were flirting with relegation and were twelfth, right? Twelfth. Yeah, they finished twelfth. Yeah, they were flirting with relegation around like you know New Year's, if you will. Yeah. So real, we'll get back to our teams. But I mean, you said you're. I, I think this season is going to be so cool because you got all the amazing managers at the top of the table. It's sort of hilarious. Right, like so, these big clubs have terrible years. All of them, except for I mean, really, all of them have just awful years by their standards. Arsenal was pretty on par with what they usually right. do. I guess Arsenal did what they usually did, and then everybody else really fell off. And now they're hoping that they throw you know Pep Guardiola, uh, Conte for Chelsea, uh, Mourinho is back for United, Jurgen Klopp for Liverpool. Oh yeah. It's it's like they're trying to throw like kind of these big names at the manager names at the problem, and so just the managerial talent is absurd. But I happen to think that this will not come together for some of these teams so quickly. Interesting. So you think, and even though that this is a sport where there are leaps and bounds taken right away when a manager comes in, even with mid-season, when you change it up, it helps. There's that bounce from a manager. You don't think that even given the quality of these managers, you'd say that Pep Guardiola, he's going to City, who 
is I'd say the odds on favorite still, I believe currently at this point to, to win the league. And then even though they're sharing a, a city with United, which is, you know, as you mentioned, Mourinho is now there and they brought in a treasure chest of players. Pogba, Mkhitaryan, uh, they got a, what's the name of their center back? Zlatan Ibrahimovic is oh, on Oh, right, of course, now. Zlatan. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I wonder if like the lesson of last year is that, you know, having some sort of cohesion and continuity really is Probably valuable. Eric Bailey too, I think, right? Yeah, that's the name of the center back guy. Villarreal. Yeah. So... It's not the first time these big clubs have brought in these big signings. Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's true, and but it works usually. There's a huge difference between the the way the Louis Van Gaal was running United. I'm not saying that they're going to win, but uh, the, and we'll get to our predictions of, of the table coming up. But I I just think that the infusion of these the talent wins out in soccer a lot of times. I'm not sure if you have, if you listen to the. Um, Malcolm Gladwell podcast about uh, where they talk about like the difference in talent average versus uh, peak in different sports about what you need per team. But to summarize it uh, before I lose everyone here, soccer is a sport where the, uh, the average of your player is more important than the, than how good your best player is where a sport like basketball it more importantly, it matters the most if you have the best player in the game. Right. So doesn't that support though, a team more like Spurs who kind of is very, spread out across the board as opposed to I know like that averages out when you have star but like like some of these really big teams I mean we'll see what they do in the rest of the window still have like these big holes I mean who is I mean city Oh no they have some big I mean who is city's city has nobody in defense with with company always injured and you know I don't even know who else they're starting but I guess they brought John Stones in but John Stones did, didn't exactly now. didn't exactly light the world on fire this year so their He's defense is still young, like but... a calamity that we'll see what happens there I mean Chelsea still has most of the same team that was just awful last year they added Conte but who else have they really brought in that I guess they brought in what's his name the Belgian striker we should say we're talking about Ingolo Conte. Ingolo Conte, yes. Yeah, the, the midfielder, not Conte, the coach, the, the manager. manager. So I'm just saying they, they, still are, they still are in a position where they have to start John Terry in central defense as of now. I mean, they, we'll see what they do the rest of the window. And United has, like, all these central midfielders that they don't know what to do with. So, you know, uh, we'll see, again, how the window works itself out. But, you know, they, they, they all have they, – they all have big problems still. And there is a reason they all – really were bad last year by their standards i mean city was still leading the table and i think they had the best goal differential still at the end of the season right and they were still no, the table no. for... spurs had the best goal differential. Spurs ended up with... okay city wasn't even close i mean city couldn't beat a top team last year they basically feasted on bottom mentioned teams. their injuries too they had they had tons of them um their entire team i mean uh, de Bruyne was injured for a long stretch in the beginning and anyhow i Let's get right to it, Mike. Let's let's do our um, table predictions. You know, before we get too long winded here, let's take a little bit. I'll start off. Uh, I'll go first. Well, real quick before we start, um, how are you feeling about Swans right now? And then I'll kind of just the temperature of our favorite teams. How are you feeling about Swans? Are you a little nervous? I'm. Yeah, I have to be. I mean, you have to have your guard up when you are a uh, supporter of a very small club that that is the seller in almost every situation. Where if a guy gets too good, he leaves that situation, which is similar to Southampton, but when you don't have the youth program of a Southampton. So Swansea's in a situation where they can get a free transfer, great move like IU last year, and then sell them for $20 million this year, and that's really good for the, for the club. Um, it's bad for how they play, or, or you would assume it was, it's going to be more difficult but, uh, to score for a team who struggled with like 42 goals total last season to lose one of their best playmakers. But they brought in two really interesting Spanish players, uh, Lorente um, and uh, what's his name? Bastion, um blanking on his. He played for. He was on loan at Cel- at uh, one of the lower clubs. Yeah, Ibar. Yeah, Ibar. But he's he's from uh, Atletico Madrid, and he's twenty three years old. He's a six three power forward type player, and Lorente is a six five power type player. They got rid of. Um, I mean, they got rid of. But Ashley Williams was sold to Everton. Captain, my captain. I love Ashley Williams, and I wish him the best. But. You know they they gave up so many goals last year in the air and on set pieces and they just got a whole lot taller with their starting lineup now with Ash out or Ash gone and Ayu gone who are both small. They did re-sign Sigerson for four year deal which is great because he's their best player on their team. He's great in the Euros, obviously. Great. Yeah, he's just a world class player. Straight up, Gilfie's yeah, a great. So what player. do you what are, what are you thinking place wise? I think they're going to finish like thirteenth, fourteenth. So basically, what they did last year. Okay. Yeah, around last year. 
I'm actually feeling pretty good about Saints this year. I, I, I think last year I was a little worried, but you know, obviously they sell, they do what they always do. They sold Pella to China. They sold Wanyama to Tottenham. They sold Mane to Liverpool for a lot. Uh, and there's some weird rumors that they might lose Jose Jose Font, which would be really bad. Well, Van Dyke is next, by the way. Van Dyke is still there. No, he's there, but he's too good to be. He'll get bought by a big team. I think he's I don't great. Know. We'll see. I I, uh, I have a pretty good feeling he'll stay at least this year and pro- possibly beyond. They just got they they signed some guys to new contracts. They they bought a uh, Hoiberg Ho- Hoberg from uh, Bayern. Pep's guy. I probably mispronounced his name. They bought uh, Nathan Redmond, um, and they brought in Claude Puel, who's this new manager. I think they will be better, perhaps in quality this year, but worse in the the table. I'm thinking like they get seventh or eighth again. Yeah, I think they. I mean, they're not going to get sixth again. You know, I've been complaining about this for a while, but if they didn't, if the transfer window was pushed back or pushed up for the start of the year, and they didn't have to worry about transfer rumors last August. I think they make they're only three points off the Champions League. I'm just saying. All right, well, let's get right to it. Let's do. Let's go in, in sets. There's 20 teams. We'll go in in groups of five. And real, why should um? And we Actually, should also say like go why, by four. Okay, fine. Go by four. Go go for Champions League first. So I, in an order, I think that United is going to win the league, and then City is going to finish second. Then I think that Arsenal will finish third. Spurs will finish fourth. I'm going to blow your mind here and make a really bold, possibly stupid prediction. I think Tottenham is going to win the league. <laughs> okay. I think they, have, they had the best team last year. Uh, they're all young. I know that their style of play is maybe not so conducive to playing on multiple fronts. They've strengthened their depth with uh, Wanyama who can because they really had only two good central midfielders last year. Now they have a third. Um, they got, what's his name, Janssen from, uh, from, from the Eredivisie to back up Kane. So those are two of their biggest weaknesses. And I think again, cohesion, cohesion. I'm picking the Spurs. I'm picking Spurs. I think United City takes second, third, and fourth. I think I'm going to stick with Arsenal. Okay. Okay. And I'll say this: it is Pochettino's system is very physical and very wearing. And if they're going to make a run at the Champions League this year, potentially, as they're in that, there are decisions to be made that were not a part of last season's success. And no, I agree. The other top teams have gotten much better around them. But I On like paper. the prediction. On paper. I like it. On paper. On paper right, so, so where's Leicester finished? Okay, so I have, I'll have i have Chelsea at five. I think Liverpool is going to finish sixth. Then I think West Ham will be seventh. Leicester will be eighth. Okay. All right. I'm going, uh, I think Liverpool finished fifth. I think uh, Leicester sixth. I think Chelsea will stay in seventh. That, that'll change if they if they buy a striker and they finish the Kolabi move. I think maybe I'll move them up, but I'm... They just—they were tenth last year, and they didn't really. They've only added one significant player, and I don't—I don't think it's going to be something that they now they will have the benefit of not playing in Europe. So maybe that's a silly pick. And then I got Saints finishing eighth. Okay, <laughs> Saints at eight. All right. So then I have uh, I have Stoke City at nine. They added Joe Allen, who's a really nifty player. I think Chikiri and Joe Allen together could be, could be really fun to watch. They they could be sneaky. Okay. Plus, no one likes playing at Stoke. Okay, um, so I have uh, Stoke at, uh, at at nine. I have Everton at ten. Southampton at eleven. Oh, you're really docking me. That's that's good. That's good. They could totally do it, but I I will be upset. I don't think they're going to. I think they have a better team than people think. I have Swansea at twelve. Okay, I have. I also have Stoke nine. I'm going to put West Ham tenth. I think Everton. Everton finished crash and burn 11th as I laugh maniacally at, at how our old manager thought it would be a better move for him to go to that club than to our club. Uh, and then I'll say, let's say, um, I'll put Watford at 12th. Oof, man, I got them getting relegated. All right, all right. Okay, so then, then wait, uh, wait, so let's just, the rest of it doesn't really matter that much. Who do you have getting relegated? Okay, I got, uh, I got whole. Burnley and Watford getting relegated. I agree with the first two. I'm going to say West Brom is the third. Okay. Wow. That'd be, that'd be tough with the Hawthorns. All right. But uh, cool. So we got to talk a little EPL here. Uh, yeah, so me- why, why, should, uh, why should people who are not soccer fans watch the EPL? I mean, look, if, you're, if, you're, if you are a basketball fan and that's, and that's the sport that you prefer, there's a lot of very you know, similar components to watching soccer in terms of like fluidity and sets and motion and, and passing 
um, you know, look, if you can get over the fact that zero zero doesn't necessarily mean it's not good. And I get that that's part of America's, you know, consumption habits with sports points are good. Um, and, and that's fine. Um, it's one, you know, baseball has been hurt, but, um, then you should like soccer. Soccer is just, it's a sport that's not that dissimilar um, to what to, to basketball in a lot of those same you know um, um, components. And I'll tell you this, Mike, also. When you can start to look at how important this is to these people, you'll get the same feeling you get about how important any of your particular sports teams are. The way I feel about Philadelphia, the way you feel about DC sports, etc. You know, that's that, take that type of intensity and then multiply it by like a thousand because these aren't different like cities in different states. These are basically towns that are next to each other or stadiums that are across the street. You know, it's, right. it's, in the, it's in the London case, absolutely. Exactly. Well, even if you go up into to where, you know, Villa and Newcastle aren't that far from each other. Yeah, two teams that are relegated. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I agree. I think if you like just sort of the way that the, the game flows, if you like the way that basketball teams sort of set up schematically, there are a lot of similarities. It's a little more rigid in soccer uh, in terms of formations as sort of a talking point. But it's a very similar style. I mean, you can imagine, like, kind of thinking about how Australia plays and then thinking about how a team sort of sets up to play that way. The player, it's sort of like jazz in a sense, like basketball, where there are alignments and then the players have to kind of operate within that space and ad lib. And so they, the game, it's also continuous. And most importantly, it is never on when basketball games are on because it's on <laughs> Saturday and Sunday morning. Yes, yes. That's, that's the huge. most important one for me. <laughs> and it's on Saturdays most of the time. So it gives you something to wake up and watch on Saturday mornings. And I'm telling you, if you're on the East Coast, everything we said is applicable. If you're on the West Coast, I don't blame you if you're not waking up at like 4 a.m., 7 a.m. Sorry. But yeah. uh, I know some of my most loyal uh, soccer fan friends, uh, the Taharis, they listen to the pod too. Both of them uh, are huge Arsenal fans, and they wake up, and Arsenal's a team who gets a lot of those primetime spots, which is like the early morning games on Saturdays, which is like 4 a.m. in California. So well, you know how those games are going to go, so you can probably skip those. Who do you think is the most fun team, going to be the most fun team to watch this year? I mean, last year we all were captivated by Leicester, and just not only just the way that they kind of took on pressure and then just killed teams on the break. Uh, do you... I think Leicester's still going to be a lot of fun to watch. Did you see? Uh, did you see Ahmad, Ahmed Musa, the guy they signed in the uh, in the uh, what's it called? The game between the FA Cup winner and the champion, the, the champion, the Shield, the Community Shield. Yeah, he just like was he was. Really He's fun lightning to watch. fast. He is super fast. So, so you think they're going to be fun to watch? I mean, do you, uh, who else do you think is going to be kind of? Uh, I think Liverpool. I like to sit, looking forward to seeing them in Klopp's system for year two. Uh, is anyone else you're looking just forward to watch as a neutral, just looking forward to watch? And West Ham's moving into the Olympic Stadium. That's a big move. They're a huge club that's going to be in the newest, best new stadium. You know, the biggest. You know, uh, all the bells and whistles, if you will. What about what about like stylistically? Like you like watching West Ham play? I mean, Payet is amazing. Payet's amazing. Payet and Ayu together are going to be like incredibly crafty playmakers. Um, they have really good finish. I mean, if if Andy Carroll stays healthy, he's a world class finisher. Um, they're, yeah, they're they're an interesting team, man. They they weren't far off the beat last year, similar to Southampton, where they were the two teams who were sneaky. They pulled off some big wins. Um, there is a, probably going to be a bump into a new stadium. They start the year with Chelsea. It should be a pretty good game. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, I think Stoke could be interesting to watch, but I'm not going to watch them that play that much. Um, <laughs> so they're not going to be here. They always far. play at the same time Swansea does because they're like you know in that middle part How of. About the, like like of all the big clubs, who are you most United, excited to watch? United. You think United? Of course, Mick, you know Mkhitaryan's unbelievable. He was like the best point guard, if you will, in the Bundesliga for the last few years at, at, at Dor- uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's 34 years old, but he's like he's he's Zlatan. He's, he's one of the best players in the world still he he had the game winning goal in the community shield game um and uh obviously when you're not even when you can get multiple players down the the roster i didn't even say pogba yet but they added the most expensive transfer in in the history of the sport who is a you know 23 year old phenomenal player again not a scoring first player so it feels like they have pieces that might actually work like playmakers and goal scorers we haven't mentioned rooney who's still going to be on their team um yeah, you know, i don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> but the thing is they have depth too because they have yeah, that whole... but, but i don't know how many of those guys are sticking around like like mata juan mata has already fallen out of favor with Mourinho once that's the part i worry about is is a Mourinho element 
but the depth component, which they do have at everything but defense, which is going to be an issue. But they have they got like um, Shaw came back from his broken leg last year, which is important. He's a pacey player up the side, and they've got they've got a, a a team who I feel like if Mourinho gets to them will be really exciting and fun to watch. And well, I hope so because they were the wor- They were so boring to watch last year, so it'll be a, a breath of fresh air. I so yeah, if you're new to this league and you're looking to find some teams to watch, I recommend checking out Liverpool this year. I think United will be fascinating. I don't know if you want to root for them, if you're if you care that you're chasing the big club, but Liverpool's the most famous club in the history of, of soccer. And it's just I mean Jurgen Klopp is just a maniac and it's going to be great. To <laughs> He's watch. a maniac, that's true. It's going to be great to kind of see how they play and his like just wild system. If you had to compare him to an NBA coach, who would you compare him to? I mean stylistically, I'm thinking about this. If you think about how teams play, uh, you know, like those old Sonics teams of the '90s, <laughs> George Carlish teams. Yeah, that's what that's like. Who Jurgen Klopp is kind of in the Premier League. So if you love those Sonics teams, I would watch Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. It's pretty pretty solid. Uh, they have a really nice young player named Origi who plays up top. Who you'll be hearing his name a lot. He's going to score a lot of goals, yeah, especially because Sturridge will probably miss a lot of games. Probably be hurt. Um, and uh, yeah, so and I'd be remiss to say like, look, Tottenham's a fun team to watch. They they play super aggressive. They have you know they have uh, Deli Ali who's a really really fun young player to watch. I think he's like twenty years old now. Harry Kane's a fun player. Eriksson's a fun player. So they're definitely you know if you didn't get on there. Uh, anybody but the big clubs thing last year. Obviously, if you were a Leicester fan last year, that's great. But Spurs are a fun team as well. Um, that's really all we got, Mike. I don't know, I think that's that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks for indulging our soccer talk. If you listen this far, um, we really do encourage you to start watching it. It is a great second sport if you're tired with the NFL, like I am. So, and we will we'll be back again later this weekend uh, and early next week with uh, more team uh, previews. We appreciate all the praise that you have sent us on those. Uh, nobody knows these teams better than our team communities. Very few people. So it's great to get them on. Uh, we'll continue to do that. Do leave us a review uh, and follow us on all the podcasting platforms and subscribe to the Limited Upside podcast. Uh, and we'll be back on track. It was just kind of nice to just talk to you, Ben. Yeah, man. I always like having the one-on-one pods. and It's easier to conversate for a few but anyhow it's always good to uh to get these non-team podcasts in the summer so we can take a just snap you know a little look at the uh, national picture and then get right back into the uh the team previews so we can continue our countdown to eventually probably right before the season starts we'll get to the warriors um <laughs> at this rate but cool nonetheless as always thanks for listening i'm ben that's mike limited upside podcast <laughs>